So I have a question. We get a chance to vote here from the very beginning. How many of you all uh, would use the word busy to describe your life? How many? Let's just see, go ahead, be honest. All right, and, and if you didn't raise your hand, you're probably lying, but that's okay. We'll have a song at the end and you can make things right. Uh, <laughs> But we, we really do feel as though we are amongst the busiest people on the planet, and in some ways, uh, we are. Uh, we're busy, and it really doesn't seem to matter what season of life you're currently in, whether you are middle school, high school, uh, single, married, middle-aged, grandparents, empty nesters. really doesn't matter where you fall in as far as your descriptors go in life. It just seems like we're all so very busy, and it seems like we've been busy for a long time. It seems like we've just been after it for a long time. I can remember back in middle school, just feeling like, hey, I'm busy. I've got school, I have to go to school. And then there's football practice or baseball practice, you know, after school, and then you go home and there's homework. And then it just keeps on going and going and going. And, and my schedule was full and then high school. And then there's, you know, after high school, there's college. And then you date and then you get married and then there's children and then there's and there's responsibilities and obligations and life just keeps coming, life just keeps coming, life just keeps coming. And all of a sudden, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, you still feel busy because in some ways you are. Uh, here's an observation. Most of us are so busy living our life, we don't think about how we are spending our life. Most of us are so busy with life, we just don't ever stop to think about life. I mean, we wake up in the morning and you know, we wanna sleep, but we can't sleep because we're adults and we're supposed to be responsible. And besides that, we gotta get the kids up. And, and so you'd rather sleep in, but you get up and you go wake up the kids and you get breakfast ready and try to get the clothes out. And then you can't find the clothes and where did the flipping socks go? And somebody didn't do the laundry right. And have you eaten breakfast yet? Eat your breakfast. And you need to go into the laundry room and you go back to the bedroom and you know, where's your shoes? Where'd you pull your shoes off? I told you, you pull your shoes off and you put them up. And if you pull your shoes off and put them up every day, we wouldn't have to have the same conversation every day. Now that neighbor, that neighbor we live beside of, they are really loud. And, and we learn, we learn a lot from them about what, you know, we're just busy. And then, you know, you, you break next speed, you get to school and you drop the kids off. And then you try to get to the office and you work all day. And then you try to get home and you try to get dinner or pick up dinner. And then pretty soon, uh, homework, home, why didn't you do homework? Okay, so we gotta do homework. And then it's time, you know, to get clean. You smell them. Uh, I think you can make it one more day. Or, or no, you've gotta have a shower today. You've gotta have a shower today. And, and then it all starts back over and, and before you know it, we look up one day and it's like, where did life go? Most of us are so busy living life, we don't actually think about how we're living our life or how we're spending our life or if we are investing our life or whether we're losing our life or whether we're just wasting our life. A lot of us don't even know where time goes, but it's going somewhere. And one day you're gonna look back at the end of your life and you're gonna be able to see where life went really clearly. And you're gonna wish you did some things different maybe. Maybe you're gonna be glad that you did certain things. Maybe you're gonna regret that you didn't do certain things or that you did do certain things. But a lot of us don't even have a clue where time goes. Did you know that the average person, the average person, and maybe you're average, the average person spends one year of their life looking for what's lost. Now think about that. As valuable as life is, as valuable as time is, 
right? As our days go, so becomes our life. And so, you know, hours and days and weeks and months and years ultimately become, you know, the life that we lived or the life that we failed to live. But one year, one year of our lives is walking around saying, where did it go? Where did you put it? Where did, I don't know. Did you see it? Where did you see it last? I don't know. And, and just one year of our lives lost looking for something that is lost. Did you know that the average person spends about four years, really almost five years eating and drinking? Almost four, I mean, we, we gotta do that though, right? I mean, we gotta eat, we gotta drink, we, we, gotta, we gotta live. Did you know that the average person spends 25 years of their life, 25 years of their life sleeping? That's a third of life. Some of you are batting way above average. <laughs> what I think is you, you deposit a lot of that time early on in life and you just lose it as you get older because you seem to sleep less and less. But 25 years, where's my life going? Well, 25 of it's going to sleep. Four to five of it's going to eating and drinking. Perhaps a year of it's going to finding something that I've lost or somebody lost and I'm gonna blame it on, right? Did you know that two years is spent on grooming, manscaping, <laughs> ladyscaping, I don't know. Uh, two years, I mean, but we're glad you do it. <laughs> Keep doing it. Some of you could invest a little bit more time <laughs> to this particular area of your life. Did you know that three years of your life is spent doing housework if you're average? Three years. So not wild, three years of our life just cleaning dishes, dishwasher, dusting, vacuuming, picking up, you know, picking it back up and 10 minutes picking it back up again. And, and you know, until you just make everybody sit still. <laughs> Nobody touches anything for a while because I want it to stay the way, you know, just that, that's our lives. Did you know, this is, this is kind of where it gets in, in, in our um, face a little bit. The average person, Eight years of their life spent watching television. Eight years. That number, that number is trending upward too. Eight years of your life, my life, if we're average, watching television. Those are eight years we can't get back. Those are eight years we can't recast, rewrite, undo. Those, those are eight years. If someone told you you had nine years to live, would you spend eight of it watching TV? No. But we spent eight years of our lives on average watching TV. And this is another number that's going up on the increase. Six years of our life is used watching social media, observing social media, checking social media. Do they like me or not like me today? Did they check, did they comment? How many comments do I have? How many likes do I have? And then we check everybody's best photo of the day that they put on there, right? After seven takes, they've put the best photo on there. They look happy, they look thin, they look like they're young again. And you know, and there they are, we're just checking on them, checking how everybody else is living their life. Let me say, checking how everybody else is faking living their life. <laughs> look at us! And we're just in six years of our life checking up on other people. Half of them we don't like. We just check it so to get angry about it. Six years, six years. Between television and social media, 14 years of your life. We don't know that. We don't know it in the moment, but, but one day we're gonna look back and we're gonna say, I wonder how much time I gave away. Well, experts tell us you're gonna give probably eight years away to television, six years away to social media. 
Two years to shop. Two years just shopping, browsing, checking things out, buying, not buying. Here, here's, here, here's one, four years in a car, just kind of getting here and there, four years. Four years. Four years of your life in a car, doing the thing that you do when you're in a car. And that looks different for different people, but four years, there you are, maybe reading, you know, not reading, but uh, <laughs> listening to a book, you know, listening to the news, listening to music, you know, just four years in a car. Did you know this is one I know you're all waiting for? You know how much of your life, how many years of your life you spend having sex? It's not years. It actually comes out to about 117 days. And all the men are thinking, no, it's longer. And all the women are saying, no, it's not. No, no, it's really not. Do you know it comes out to, I, I know, you know, it's like, who figures this out? Is this, is this government grant money at work? Probably. About nine hours of ecstasy. 117, hour, 117 days of sex, nine hours of, of like, woo! That's your life. That's it. That's, that's where it's going. So you, you take out, you know, work, which makes up about 10 years of your life and sleep, which makes about 25 years of your life and four to five, which makes up, you know, the eating and drinking of your life. And so if you take all those things that are kind of mandatory, just part of, you know, the world that we live in, uh, I did some figuring and, and that leaves us about 11 years, about 11 years. When you take all the things that we kind of have to do and need to do about 11 years of discretionary life to spend or invest or do whatever you're gonna do, that's about 4,300 days. That, that's our life. That's where our life is going. And most of us are so busy, we're not even thinking about this. But one day, we will think about this. Statistically, most of us will not die suddenly. Statistically, most of us will be on a bed somewhere in our future waiting to die. That's statistics. So one day we're gonna think about how we lived our life. I think we ought to do something revolutionary. I think we ought to do something that the scriptures teach us to do. And I think we ought to not wait until the end to think about what we did with the life that we had. But I think we ought to think about the life that we have right now and consider how important it is, how short it is, number our days so that we may use our days better. Because we can't control much about how we die, but we can control a lot about how we live. And, and I, you know, I think it's been my experience that you, know, you can always hear conversations about you know, how, how do you wanna die? Or how do you not wanna die? And people, you know, I, do wanna, I just don't wanna drown. That'd be the worst thing. I, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather die any way possible, but I don't wanna drown. Some people, no, I'd drown in a heartbeat. I don't wanna burn. I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna die by fire. And I don't wanna do that. And so, you know, we just all have these little things, but I'll tell you the worst way to die is to die with regret. The worst way to die would be to get to the end of your days and be so busy that you never thought about what you were doing with your days. And then at the end of your days, look back over all of your days and say, I feel like I wasted it. I feel like I missed it. I feel like I didn't use it as wisely as what I could have. And that's what we're talking about. God, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So over here, last week, we had this big aquarium set up and there were 28,000 
marbles, you know, in that big aquarium because that, that's, that's our days. 28,000 if we're average, right? 78 or so years we get. And we have no promise of any of those. All we have is right now. And so th- this, is, this is my marble today. You have your day. This is your day. What are you going to do with it, right? If you're numbering your days, today becomes incredibly important because today could be your last day, right? And if you live every day as though it could be your last day, your day today will change. It will change the way you see everything. It will change the way you hear everything. It will change your personal relationships. It'll, It'll just change things if you start numbering your days. And so that was last week and we should continue to number our days. But, but I wanna talk about you know, kids and I wanna talk about parenting. And I know not everybody's a parent, but that's okay. Everybody can be a spiritual parent. Everybody can be a mentor. Everybody can invest in the next generation. And in some ways, we are all stewards of the next generation. Whether we are biological moms and dads or not, we're all stewards of the next generation. Grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, cousin, volunteer at the church and children's ministry or student ministry. We're all stewards of the next generation. But let me talk to those of you who are parents. And right here, this was the day that you brought your kid home. This, this was it. This was like the first week of life. And this was little Jane or little Joe and oh, how pretty. I don't think any newborns are pretty, but that's just me. We say it, but we lie. I didn't even think my own children were pretty when they were born. Freaked me out. I, I thought something was wrong. He can't be mine. This, 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 it can't be Allison's. This, this is some other inferior couple's child. Uh, this obviously is not our genetic output, but, but it was. And it got better with time. And, and our kids are adorable, just like your kids are adorable. But, but, you know, when they're first born, they're all squishy and round and sometimes, point. you know, it's just, they, they, but they come home and they're sweet and they're lovable and, and we would do anything for them. And this is, this is when we bring them home. And if all goes well, if all goes the way it's supposed to, they will graduate high school. We will get them that far. We will parent until they're 18 and they begin life on their own, the next chapter, adulthood. They will go to college, some of them, some of them will trade school, some of them vocational school, some will just go and start their own business and conquer the world. And some will go to college and then graduate school and some will go to college and then go back to college again and go back to college again and, you know, and graduate somewhere. But hey, we, we got them to high school graduation. And so th- this is kind of life as a parent. And when we bring them home, you know, if all things on average, we're going to get about 936 weeks. Each, each marble represents a week until graduation. So when we bring them home, we have about 936 weeks as moms and dads, grandparents, you know, we have about 936 weeks to influence our children before they kind of go out on their own and do their thing at 18 years old. When we say you're 18, you know what that means? It's time to leave. It's time to go. We've been waiting for this day. Right, no, we probably won't, maybe so. But, but here we are, 936 weeks. And then here, here they are at two years old right? Two years old, you remember how hard those days were. I I can remember, you know, being a parent, there's just some things you end up doing that you thought you would never do, right? And I can't believe I'm even about to tell you the story I'm about to tell you, but Allison was in residency and 
And Shepherd was somewhere between two and newborn, and, and, and he, he was trying to do, you know, just the most natural biological processes. He was trying to go to the bathroom, and you could tell. And he was in diapers, and he was just over there, and he was... And, and, and it was taking way too long. And, and obviously, after a while, he just starts crying because he's in such pain. And, and I'm kind of freaking out. And so I, I call the doctor. I'm expecting medical expert advice on what to do. Honey, uh, he's trying to go to the bathroom, but apparently something is something stuck, something clogged, something, something just isn't working. And she goes, well, you know, I, you may just have to reach up there and grab it. If you can see something, you, you just might. And I was like, I will rent a helicopter. And we will medevac him to the University of Kentucky Children's Hospital. But I'll tell you the one thing that's not happening tonight in my medical care. Is that right there? Yeah, so parenting is wild and crazy. And then, you know, you get to four-year-olds, right? And you have about 728 weeks with them at that point. 728, I mean, we're losing it. And, and so much of that's so busy and it's, it's so, it's intense. And, and I can remember being a parent and, you know, you become a parent and one of the first things I thought was, you know, God, and I'm sure every mom, dad thought about this, I'm sure Allison did. I mean, one of the first things you think is, God, I just don't, I just don't wanna be, I just don't wanna be a screw up parent. I just don't wanna, I don't wanna turn out somebody weird. <laughs> Now I can deal with a lot of things, but God, I don't want to produce a weird child and I, I, I want to get someone who gets out there and can kind of survive in life on their own. And, and so much of those first few years is just trying to, you know, for those of us who, you know, kind of went by some type of book and, you know, curriculum, you know, as fun as that sounds in parenting, but it really, really, it was great. And, and I, I would suggest, and so we, you know, we would try to do bedtimes. We had a little thing lined out and put them to bed here and sleep. And so we went through this whole protocol and, and that was kind of, you know, real big busy stuff. And, and then here's six years old, right? Six years old, about 624 weeks, right? If you have a parent, if you're a parent and you have six-year-old, that's, that's about what you have, have left. An eight-year-old, I've got an eight-year-old. Uh, he's going to be eight July 29th. And, and Allison and I are going to have, starting July the 29th, about 520 weeks, 520 weeks. And I look up and it's like, where has time gone? In our family, it's just, that happened overnight. I'm a pastor, she's a doctor. We, we have friends, we have family, we, you know, we try to take trips we, and boom, and life happens and all of a sudden, bam. I mean, we got from here to there just like that. And then I'm worried about, okay, just how intentional was I between here and there? Because I hope, I hope that I've been investing and not wasting. And, and then, you know, let's say you get a 10-year-old. You got a 10-year-old, it's about 416 weeks. Count our days that we might gain wisdom. That's what Moses said. What about if we numbered our weeks as parents? What kind of parents would we be? Moms and dads. If, if, we, just started, if we just started thinking about this, what about a 12-year-old? 12-year-olds, 312 weeks left. And it seemed like we brought them home yesterday. It seemed like just yesterday we were cleaning their butts and we were following them around because they were just messing up everything. And the biggest thing was to getting them to eat right with the fork and 
being able to sit still and listen for more than a minute. And then all of a sudden we look up and they're 12 years old and we have 300 weeks left. 300 weeks to influence, 300 weeks to invest in the next generation, 300 weeks to take our personal faith and to in some way push it into the next generation so it becomes generational faith. 13, 260 weeks. If you have a teenager at home, 260 weeks, think about that. You know how fast weeks go by. You know how Christmas is coming by. You know, used to as your kid, it was like, where's Christmas, where's Christmas, where's Christmas? Is Christmas ever coming? Is Christmas ever coming? And then you became a parent. It's like, is it Christmas again? It's Christmas already? Oh my gosh, I got a shop, it's Christmas. 14 year old, you got about 200 days, 200 weeks rather, 15, right? You're getting scared because you know, they're getting ready to 16. It's like license and cars and 156 weeks, 156 weeks, 16. Time to get the learner's permit, driver's license, all kinds of new challenges, right? I don't have teenagers, but I was one. And I know some, and I can read, and this is challenging, and this is not easy, and there's no cookie cutter way to do this. There's no cookie cutter way to do any of this. But for many of us, there might be a better way for us to do what we've been doing. So that's 16, 17. If you have a 17 year old, you got 52 weeks got a year. They're going to graduate. And then they're going to be starting a chapter of life where your influence will no longer be the same. Will no longer be the same. You're going to have it, but it's not going to be the same. And then they're going to graduate and they're going to start their life. Now, one day we're going to look back as individuals and we're going to evaluate what we did with our lives. But one day we're going to look back as parents and we're gonna think about what we did or didn't do as parents, or perhaps what we should have done or shouldn't have done as parents. And if we live that average life, 78 or so years, you know, if we live those 28,000 days, perhaps we will be able to look back, not on just the next generation of our children, but perhaps their children, and maybe even their children's children. And we'll be able to look back on multiple generations of our family that has developed and perhaps we'll see things that are unfortunate. Perhaps we might see some things that are tragic. Perhaps we will see some things that we would like to change. Perhaps at that stage of life, we will look back and we will see some repetitive behavioral patterns in our families. And I guarantee you, I hope it doesn't happen to you. I hope it doesn't happen to me. But if anything like that exists within our families, we will look back over this season of our lives. We will look back specifically over these 936 weeks and we will wonder, what could I have done? What should I have done? And did I do things the right way? And I'm just not talking about getting them out and getting them a job and making them a productive part of society, but I'm talking about as a follower of Jesus, what we have done with our faith and how we have secured or if we're honest, how maybe we have undermined 
the future faith of the next generation. And, and what's so sad and what's so horrible to think about is, is this right here, based on today's statistics, and this bothers me and this keeps me up and this makes me passionate as a pastor, this makes me passionate about what's happening in the life of our church and where I wanna see our church go and what I wanna see our church accomplish and what I hope for you as a mom or a dad, as a family, what I hope for my family, what I hope for my boys, what I hope for your sons and daughters, is the fact that we are not gonna go the way of the statistics. The statistics say right now that about 70%, 70% of our children will leave and walk away from the faith by age 23. 23 years old, by the time they get to that place, 70% of them will have walked away from faith. That horrifies me. That terrifies me as a dad. That terrifies me as a pastor. That makes me cringe as a citizen of this world and of this planet. To think about that the children, that those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers and church people, that one day 70% if our sons and daughters are gonna walk away from faith by the age 23 and very few of them will return. And then it begins to make sense to me when we peel back the layers of life and what's going on around us, when, when we begin to think about what's happening and the fact that we have 936 weeks, that means I have 936 weeks to influence, 936 weeks to invest, 930, listen, when I brought when, you know, when Alice and I brought our kids home, I can remember, I can remember before they ever understood there was night and day. I, I can remember walking them around. I'd walk them around the neighborhood. I'd pick up Shepard. I mean, just home from the hospital, walking down the street. And the whole time I was walking down the street, telling God's got a plan for your life. God's gonna do something with your life. Jesus loves you. There's a God in heaven who created you and made you for a purpose and on purpose. And I, you know, and I decided early on, because I heard people talk about this and I'm not smart, but I heard other people talk about it. And it's like, yes, we gotta number our days. And if I don't number my days and number my weeks, I'm telling you, this is going to get away from me. Life's going to get in the way. And I determined that I was not going to let a week go by. I may let a day go by, but I'm not going to let a week go by unless I tell my sons that God has a plan for their life, that God loves them. God is their creator. God is their friend. God wants to do something amazing in them so they can make a difference in other people. And I just decided early on, that's what I want my weeks to do. But 936 weeks. But what I see happening is very troublesome. What I see happening in the local church is troublesome in this country. Just think about this. Is it that instead of numbering our weeks and days so that we can leverage our influence today for the good of tomorrow, is it possible that we've forfeited some of our influence? abdicated some of our influence, given away some of our influence, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Think about this. The average preteen and teenager, average preteen and teenager spends 10 hours a day consuming social media. Do you know what is shaping the worldview of the next generation in a ferocious way in our country right now? Social media and the worldwide internet. 
And in many ways, we've handed over 10 hours, unchecked, ungoverned, unmanaged, untraceable, 10 hours a day. Let someone else shape their ideas. Let somebody else deposit theology in them. Let someone else undermine their faith. Let somebody else pose questions to them that they don't know the answers to and they assume that there is no God and they assume that God doesn't have a plan and God is not good and the Bible has errors and pretty soon they're 23 and they're walking away. 10 hours a day, consider this. 75% of preteens and teenagers, 75% of them have smartphones. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it's a thing. 75% of them have a smartphone. That basically means they have a supercomputer in their pocket. That means they have the whole world in their pocket. There's good influence in their pocket, bad influence in their pocket, evil influence in their pocket. Did you know that nine out of 10, nine out of 10 boys before they get to age 18, nine out of 10 boys before they get to the age 18 has, has watched internet pornography. Nine out of 10 before they get to 18. Six out of 10 for girls. Six out of 10 girls, teenagers, before they get to the age of 18 has watched, viewed internet pornography. The average age of internet pornography that our children are exposed to in our culture is age 11. A recent college study determined that half, half of young boys started watching porn prior to age 12. This is just kind of where we are. And we know the statistics about, you know, internet, and let's just talk about pornography for a moment, that boys who see pornography are three times more likely to engage in reckless sexual activity. Girls who view it as two times more likely. And here we are, we're, we're just kind of, it's not that we intend this to happen. It's not that anybody wants this to happen, but perhaps we've just stopped counting our weeks and we've stopped thinking about this. One in five searches by teenagers are porn related. 71% of teenagers are actively right now hiding their online activity from their parents. 71% of teenagers are actively finding ways to hide their internet, social media interactions, logged activity from their parents, 71%. Over half of students who graduate high school have sexted at some point. Some of them just in the words that they said and some with the pictures that they have sent. And 61% of the half who have sexted don't even realize that sending naked pictures of themselves is child pornography, enforceable by law. And so here we are, we're living life, we're so busy and we don't like to think about these things. Now we hear about them from time to time, but we just kind of move on and it's like, okay. And I'm not telling you to confiscate phones and I'm not telling you, you know, to do, I, I'm just telling you, this is the way it is. And as a mom, as a dad, as a family, you're gonna have to start having a conversation about what this may look like for your sons and daughters and what it may need to look like in your family. I'll tell you the worst thing to do is to not talk about it. And the worst thing to do is not pay attention to it. And the worst thing to do is just pretend that it's not a thing. Should it bother us a psychologist, even, even atheistic psychologist tells us that lyrics and media about music and from movies, it affects our behaviors and it affects our attitudes. And specifically in these areas, does it, does it bother us at all? Because 
We have 936 weeks. 936 weeks to influence before they start walking out there in the world all on their own. And I'm just wondering, are we numbering our days? Are we numbering our weeks? Here's what I think. I think numbering our days will minimize our regrets. Now, you can do all the right parenting and things not work out perfect. It's just part of it. Sometimes you can make a lot of mistakes parenting and things turn out way better than they probably should have. But you know what? I don't think there's gonna be any solace at the end of the life. I think we're gonna think about what should I've done? What could I've done? I've got 936 weeks. That's my son. That's Shepherd. that's Grayson. That's your sons, that's your daughter. And at different points and different, you know, different people in this crowd, this congregation watching online, we all find ourselves at a different place. I have an eight-year-old and I got a five-year-old somewhere between here and there. What are we doing with our influence? Are we using it? Are we leveraging it? Are we having conversations? Are, are we managing these things? Or are we right in the same hole with the rest of culture? Families that sit down and can't talk to each other because they have their phones out. Most of the time now we have our TVs on and our phones out. And our children are growing up around us while we have the TV on and our phone in our hand, checking on people we don't even like and the lives they're faking to live. Or we're reading Fox News or CNN and we're getting angry at the world. That's how we weren't created for so much information. That's what I'm convinced of. I don't think we were created for such exposure. There's always been bad information in the world. There's always been erotic imagery in the world, but, but the level to which we're exposed, it, it's affecting us. The biggest advocates against porn are young men, millennials, who suffer from erectile dysfunction, porn-induced erectile dysfunction, because a real person is not good enough for them anymore. It takes a screen and it takes escalating images of different variations of porn to get them to where they want to be. And we don't want that for our children. We, we don't want that for our sons and daughters. We, we, we don't want that type of imagery, that type of information to lie to them. We don't want them to get married and expect that marriage is going to be a porn movie. Because if you're married, you know it is not a porn movie. It's not always neat, it's not always pretty. Sometimes it's sloppy and sometimes it's uncoordinated. Sometimes people get injured. But you can't edit that out, but you can in the movies. We don't want them to buy into lies. We don't want it to kill their ability to love or kill their ability to connect. And my point is, we just neglect, perhaps, what we're doing with the time that we've been given. I'm not saying the internet's bad. The internet is what you allow it to be. It can be a great source of good, but it can also be a great source of bad. Matthew 6, Jesus said, if you wanna minimize regret in your family, here's what you need to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that you're worried about chasing will be added to you. 
He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And he talked about a group of people who were worried about all the wrong things, chasing all the wrong things, chasing important things, but not the most important things. And the biggest danger that I see for us as Jesus followers, moms and dads and families, we chase important things, but sometimes the important things have become the most important things. And your schedule reflects it. The busyness of your life reflects it. And you're so busy, you can't be strategic. You're so busy, you can't be strategic in the thing that matters most. Are you leading your family? Are you leading your children to seek first the kingdom? And if so, does your actions say so? Does your schedule say so? Does your encouragement say so? Does your criticism say so? Does what you push them to do and talk to them about most say so? Your voice matters and it will echo throughout the generations. What are you doing with the weeks that you have been given? What is most important in your life, really? It's okay to love your children. It is not okay to love them most. It is not okay to love them most. They make wonderful children, but they make terrible gods. And when parents worship their children, more times than not, those children grow up to worship themselves. And we teach it from the earliest of age. We bring them into church, and I know you're gonna hate me at this. We bring them in, and we just shake them the whole time in the service. Never mind 55 people around us can't see, hear, or think about what's going on. Well, it's my kid. And I wanna teach them early on that they're more important than all these people. And I'm gonna teach them early on that the good thing is I can be distracted too from the most important thing. Somebody got on us the other day and said, I think we should just be allowed to let our children run all over the church. Every time I've seen that happen in church is because everything that was going on sucked. Music was terrible, the sermon was terrible, and the entertainment needed to be the child walking around in the choir loft, around the pulpit. And I'm talking about something that we teach from early on. You're more important than everything else. They're not more important than everything else. Your spouse is not more important than everything else. Your job is not more important than everything else. The most important thing is God and his kingdom. His values, his will for your life, his plan for you as a father to lead the way, for you as a mother to lead the way, for you as a single lady, a single guy to invest in the next generation because you two are stewards of the next generation. You could get involved in the local church. You could be a small group leader for children. You could be a small group leader for students and you can invest in the next generation because there's only so many weeks that we get as the local church. And I want my sons to grow up in the local church and I want them to grow up knowing that the local church is a priority because God is a priority and I want them to have other people in their lives that they can talk to. Because chances are they may not come to me at 13 or 14 and say, dad, I'm struggling with something. I hope they do, but it's okay as long as they have another guy in our church, an adult that they can talk to to say, I need help. You and I will never regret arranging our life around what is most important. What is most important right now in your family? Really? What is most important in your children's life right now? Really? And have you enabled that? Have you contributed to that? 
Have you tried to coach in a different direction? Have you tried to influence in a different direction? What are you doing with your weeks? Father, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As moms and dads, as grandparents, as stewards of the next generation, that we would know the right thing to do, that we would stay away from the wrong things to do, that we would leverage our influence today for tomorrow's good, that we would see every ride in the car as an opportunity, that we would see every dinner at home as an opportunity, that we would see every morning in the chaos of the morning to influence and make deposits that we would see all the extracurricular activities and all the things that we get to be a part of and all the fun things that we get to experience, that we would see those all as opportunities to point us towards what's even more important and that's Jesus. God, there's lots of great things that we get to do in life and you encourage that and you allow us to and you wire us for those things. But God, in the busyness of all that is, God, let us leverage our influence to always keep in mind what is most important. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. and Only the Holy Spirit can speak to you. Only the Holy Spirit can kind of roll back the curtain and say, this is what you need to know. And this is where you are as a family. This is where you are as a mom. This is where you are as a dad. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can. But I, I hope that you'll just open up your heart and open up your hands to say, Holy Spirit, what does this mean for us? God, give me the wisdom to know the right thing to do and the courage to do it, even if it's hard. God, if we have to start doing things different, then God, give me the courage to do some things different. God, if I'm gonna have to have some conversations, and then God, give me the courage to have some conversations. God, help moms and dads to seek you first. Help me, God, and forgive me. I confess and repent for when I don't, and there are many times I don't. And God, I pray that you would bring us to the place where we just say, God, we need you. As men, we would say, God, we need you. Because some of the things that our children are struggling with, we are struggling with. God, we need you. Some of the things that we never want our children to deal with, we're dealing with. So God, we need you. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name.